0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for joining me, Sharon Noonan, on tonight's Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. As promised last week, in true birthday style, we're going to be talking cakes tonight with Selena O'Sullivan. We'll also be hearing reviews of two of Limerick's newest restaurants from Rachel Keeley. Rosemary Venice in Sona's Health Food Shop in Newcastle West has great advice regarding a gluten-free diet. Comedian Alan Short will be on the phone with some food memories growing up in West Cork. And, of course, towards the end of the show, we'll have details of what events are coming up at the weekend. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, maybe to wish us a happy birthday, you can send me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org, which is short for organisation. Last month, restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley was singing the praises of the Global Village restaurant in Dingle. This month, she's bringing us closer to home with two newly opened gems in Limerick City. Cheers. Chin chin.
1: Salut. Schlainter.
0: Rachel, we're coming closer to home this month and we're going to look at two places in Limerick, one of which was shortlisted in the recent Food & Wine magazine awards For three categories, I believe, Best Mm -hmm. Casual Dining, Ethnic and World Cuisine and Best Chefs. Tell us about that first place.
2: That's called Arroy and it's on O'Connell Street in Limerick one O'Connell Street in fact um, just as you come into Limerick City and um, it's a relatively new restaurant only opened by my count around four months and I have never seen such a trajectory as Arroy has had it has just seems to have been an instant success since the moment it opened its doors and um, it's been interesting to watch it's been very interesting to eat there um, very good and interesting but um, yes I mean these recent nominations I think just highlight how They have come in such a short amount of time? It's Asian cuisine, Asian street food. Street food. Exactly there's very much an emphasis on casual you know and um, casual I suppose and authentic really because the proprietors, the husband and wife team, Eddie and Jenny, um, they are Malaysian born um, but have spent a long time in Ireland uh, training I suppose I believe in hotels also in restaurants and um, building up sort of their, their skill set and now this is their business which they're running um, around the clock by the way I can see it. It seems to be queues forming outside all the time along with a very new baby so they're busy people at the moment and and whenever we say street food, what sort of things are on the menu? It's it's very much a sort of mix. Um, it's very simple. Pretty much every dish is ten euro. Um, then they have little side dishes for four, five, and six euro. And um, there's a variety of food that will sort of the idea is that it'll suit you if you want a light bite, it'll suit you if you want lunch, if you want dinner. And um, there's no sort of formal structure. It's not a case of you get a different menu at lunchtime, a different one at the eating time, and a different one for an early bird. It is what it is. It's simple. It's straight up. The idea is that street food is, is what's served quite literally on the street um, in Malaysia um, and indeed just Asia generally as sort of quick bite on the run, very tasty, uh, well made and um, using original authentic uh, ingredients.
0: And the night you were there what did you
2: have? Well we struggled initially um, to only order some things from the menu because we really wanted everything. It's one of those menus that almost everything sounds appealing which is unusual enough you know um, especially given that quite a lot of it is very authentic uh, or very authentic dishes uh, which wouldn't necessarily um, be, we wouldn't be very familiar with them you know um, but everything sounded so attractive whether it was fish whether it was a salad whether it was a stir fry whether it was noodles or even soup um, we eventually um, having argued the toss with each other as to who got what um, started with two. So we ended up with two sides and two mains um, so we started off with now you'll have to Excuse my pronunciation, it's going to be terrible. Uh, porpia bettad, which are essentially two very meaty duck rolls uh, wrapped in a crackling, crispy encasement and served with a homemade sweet chilli and duck soy sauce, which is actually made in-house. Um, and I started off with that uh, alongside a uh, pinot grigio which is nice. Uh, they don't serve a lot of um, wine. There isn't a very long wi- wine list, but it's certainly more than enough. And what I like actually is they serve a lot of non-alcoholic drinks. So they're quite a big mixture of sort of like ginger ale and lemonades. And it's nice. So that means at lunchtime, you've got an option. You don't just have to go for sort of a Diet Coke or water, you know.
0: And what did you think of that? So that was your. Was that your? That was your mien or you that re-
2: was we. Well, you see, because it's sort of like casual food. Um, it's it's a little sort of like going into a Japanese restaurant. You pick what you want on the rest on the menu, as opposed to what sort of formula we're used to. So they were, I suppose, essentially sides is the best way to describe them. But we treated them as starters. We had them initially for starter, um, and we also had, in addition to the um, to the duck rolls, my dining partner, my husband, um, had uh, had fish cake and they were very different to the sort of mass produced barely flavoured uh, fish cakes that we're often used to here in Ireland you know sort of deep fried versions which which just kind of nuke all the fish that could possibly be inside um, this is incredibly different it was just small flattened fish cakes with clean white fish lime leaves green beans and crushed nuts so um, very very simple refreshing light flavoured uh, dish and um, again you could actually taste the fish as opposed to the oil around it or or wherever it had been seared you know
0: and then the the main courses came.
2: They did, um, and very large portions. We you know we found that one would definitely have been enough uh, between us, um, but mind you, we we tried our best to get through them. I actually had a dish called fair Faux Bocar, Again, forgive the pronunciation. It was essentially a sort of a dark, spicy beef broth um, with pak choi and uh, red chili, and really. Good slivers of beef. and um, too often I find that in in dishes and casual restaurants in Ireland the beef is is almost an afterthought. It's something that's sort of thrown into the dish and could be cooked till the living daylights come out of it um, or may not even be good quality beef to begin with. that really wasn't the case here. It was really good delectable beef which was a nice surprise and very refreshing. And the chili
0: gave it a bit of a kick.
2: It did. Now, um, I love my heat. I'm, my husband accuses me of having an asbestos palate. Um, and even for me, I found it was getting it was getting close to the sort of extra spicy mark. But they do ask you, how spicy do you want it, which is nice. And, of course, I had answered all the way. So um, I was rewarded with, with a lot of heat, which is nice.
0: You said it was a broth, so it was quite soup-like. Did you have any rice or anything with it or just on its
2: own as was no I did I did have rice and um, they actually which is nice they serve three different types of rice they serve jasmine rice um, boiled rice and brown rice which is nice um, so obviously you know if we're going to sort of have have an evening out we want to try and cut back a little bit and try and get the, some healthy options so the brown rice um, it was, accompanied both our dishes and it was lovely it was that kind of delicious nutty taste without feeling sort of heavy and overly I suppose fibre laden Sometimes these uh, brown rice can taste, you know.
0: And did you stick with a Pinot Grigio with that?
2: We did, and um, we carried just a split a bottle, and we carried that the whole way through. Um, we could have opted for beers; they have quite a selection of Asian beers. Um, but I'm not a beer drinker in our house, so we stuck to wine.
0: And what did himself have to eat for the million.
2: Um He's very much in fairness. He's very um, open to suggestions by the staff. So the staff recommended the catch of the day, um, which was incredibly simple title for what is one of the best dishes I've had all year. It was absolutely incredible. Essentially, he was served with a tightly packed banana leaf. And as he sort of like prized it open, um, steam arose out of it in an orange sauce flowed from it. Um, It was essentially fresh hake, um, wrapped in blackened onions and packed inside the banana leaf. But what was really amazing um, was this delicious Orange sauce. I, I mean I described it as the colour of a setting sun, and that's probably the only way to, to sort of properly give it give it the description it needs. Um it was incredibly, incredibly flavoursome. I mean to such an extent that we both sort of fought over the remnants on his plate, chasing it around the around the plate with a spoon. Um so when the chef came wandering out, as is his custom to actually come out and, and chat to, to his customers, um which is incredible given how busy he is, um, of course we had to ask him, What is the sauce? How do you make it and how can I I repeat it at home uh, it turns out I can't really because it's made with carefully sourced ingredients from Thailand. He he goes to great effort to to buy and um, the ingredients he would have been used to growing up with so he would have watched his mum and his grandmother cook with so little things like different types of chili and uh, of ginger and chili uh, and essentially that sauce is made from sambal olek which is an Indonesian paste of wild ginger and red chili um, and coconut milk. Um, but as I said, to be honest, if you if told me it was spun gold, I probably would have believed him. It was absolutely fabulous.
0: And were you ready
2: for dessert at this stage? Um, th- to be honest, we're quite full. There, there's a lot of food, all right. Um, but what I like is they don't really go into dessert. Um, I don't like restaurants that force dessert into a menu that doesn't really, you know, doesn't necessarily need it. Um, and it would be a little bit out of place because dessert isn't, doesn't carry with street food, you know. Um, so what they do is they offer tiny little pots of homemade ice cream little gelato it's perfect it's a nice little bit of sweetness to round off your meal without filling you up and without sort of being a an incongruous extra dish that wouldn't wouldn't work with the menu
0: Price-wise, then it's very good value for money. I believe
2: it's incredible value for money. I mean, especially given the um, given the the portions that you get. I mean, now we've since been back as many times as we can, um, but we always split a main course because it's so big. Um, but I mean, having bought two sides, two mains, a bottle of wine, two teas, and ice cream, uh, we spent fifty-eight euro great value. Incredible value especially I suppose given that unlike other casual um, restaurants um, we didn't leave feeling overly full or uncomfortable or as if sort of the queasy MSG feeling that you can get and because all the ingredients are MSG free, additive free, because they're carefully sourced and cooked authentically, um, we just felt happy and sated as opposed to being overly full and certainly, certainly very good value of €58. Euro.
0: Now we're nearly out of time but we're going to talk about the new Japanese place in Limerick as well, how did it compare in value to Arroy?
2: Again, very good value. Um, not quite as good. I mean, l- l- look, nothing is going to be as good value as 10 euro for every main course, really, on the dishes in Um But given that this Japanese restaurant has such a huge menu, I mean, if you wanted to like bite and you don't want to spend too much, you can certainly find plenty there. Um, and then again, if you wanted a proper, uh, proper treat night and wanted to get quite a lot, you can, of course, spend that way as well if you want. We spent 83 euro on two large dishes in Takichi, uh, four side dishes and a bottle of wine. So, so not quite as good value, but still, still not a bad uh, price for a night out, especially given the extensive menu, the really good quality food. Um and I suppose the experience is something different. We haven't had a Japanese restaurant, to my knowledge, in Limerick yet, so that was a nice experience. And what was the
0: food like? What Give us an example of what you had to eat there.
2: Um, well, again, uh, because I suppose Japanese re- uh, Japanese menus, the way they work is that you can kind of pick and choose whatever you want. So there was, of course, um, sushi, sashimi, um, noodle dishes, uh, a hu- all the range, obviously. But for example, uh, my husband had teppan beef teriyaki, uh, which was lovely. Uh, again, crunchy, sizzling vegetables. and. Um, a lovely seared strip loin. Um, The meat itself wasn't as nice, let's say, as in a Roy, but the overall flavour made up for it, it was very nice. Um, I had the yaki udon, uh, which was a dish of thick noodles, king prawns, chicken, vegetables, egg, and pickled ginger. It was incredibly filling. Um, Again, very, very generous portion. Um, But to be honest, what we really, really enjoyed uh, were more the side dishes. Uh, For example, the gyoza, again, forgive my pronunciation, Uh, they are essentially steamed pan-fried dumplings of pork, ginger, and chive. They were incredibly light and, I mean, they're dumplings, they look like they should be very, very heavy, but they were surprisingly light and uh, with a zesty sauce and it really worked very, very well alongside our other sides of skewers of grilled chicken um, and also deep fried king prawns, the evi furai with the sweet Japanese sauce. So a nice variety of dishes, a nice variety of flavours. Um, we left quite full indeed. Um, and the next time again, we may well share share a main course.
0: And if listeners want to find out a bit more about those two restaurants, I'm sure you have the details on your blog.
2: We do. I do indeed. It's um, on my blog, www.ormkeely.com or you can just catch it on uh, Twitter, which is at ormkeely.
0: Rachel, thanks so much for coming in and we will talk to you again next month. Thanks for having me, Sharon. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. I didn't say there during the chat with Rachel that I actually have been to Arroy myself and I really enjoyed it. I took my parents there whenever they were here a few weeks ago. And whenever I said to my dad about going to this street food Asian place, he kind of said, yeah, okay," and went reluctantly. But he did actually really love it. And it's clearly doing very well, and I believe they've opened a second restaurant in Cork. So be sure to drop me a line, s.nunan at live.ie, if you've been to let me know what you thought about it. Next, we're going to look at gluten-free. The Sona's health food shop on Maiden Street in Newcastle West frequently hosts events, and I called in recently when the topic was gluten-free, and I had a chat whenever I was there with owner Rosemary Bennis. Bon appétit. Yummy.
1: Grubs up.
3: Delicious. mm. Rosemary, tell us, what exactly is gluten? Gluten is a protein and it's found in grains. The grains that it's found in are wheat, barley and rye. And there's nothing wrong with gluten in itself, but some people have trouble digesting it. So if that's the case, you better off avoid the grains, uh, wheat, barley and rye. And what would people
0: be eating on a daily basis that you would find wheat, barley and rye in?
3: Everything, really, from Weetabix to toast to um, most packaged cereals, breakfast cereals, all breads, buns, cakes, biscuits, bagels, wraps, um, thickeners in soups, stocks, stews. Mm, it covers a lot. Wheat starch is used in you know commercial processing as a thickener, um, as a bulker. Um, coating in, say, battered fish, uh, chicken, you know, chicken dishes for lunch, that sort of thing. So really, it's it's pretty ever present, and pasta obviously would be another big one as well. So it must be quite challenging to try and cut it out of the diet completely. Yes, it can be. I think particularly if you're not that aware of, you, you know, you're, if you're if you're not that aware, maybe of what's actually in your diet first off. Say you're maybe not so consciously eating. Um, different food groups and you, when you when you think about it you realize you actually have maybe 10 portions in the day so yeah it can be a bit overwhelming having said that once you become aware of it once you become tuned into what it's in there are lots of alternatives but you do need to educate yourself you know a bit to get on to get on the program if you are intolerant to gluten what would the effects be it varies for people and the level of intolerance varies a lot as well you know, severe intolerance is a medical condition that's called celiac disease, and the treatment is removing gluten from the diet. So that's the worst-case scenario. There was a very high incidence of it in Ireland. It's part of the gene, that gene pool in this nation, actually, and especially in the Western seaboard. They say it's one in 100. I would say that it's probably even higher... You know, having said that, that's the worst or the most extreme form where you would be sick, really. I would feel griping tummy pains, weight loss, very poor energy, fatigue, you know, very unwell for a long time. If you're gluten intolerant, it might not be as severe as that, but you might get bloated. You might get crampy after, say, a gluten-containing meal. And then you might be okay if it's not in the meal. So it can be tricky sometimes to figure out if that's what's going on. So the the level of intolerance varies. Then some people... um, I guess energy is a big one. Tiredness. um, And there are other... It comes out in other ways. But they'd be the main ones. Is
0: there any benefit to cutting it out of your diet completely, even if you don't have intolerances
3: there? Yeah, it's a good question, because it's become... At the moment, it's becoming almost as if gluten is a baddie and in itself it's not it's it's more complicated than that it's more complex than that i think to be honest a lot of the problem is the processing of wheat now and the and the varieties that are grown now if you and and also the commercial um raising agents and the quick 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 rise loaves that we're used to in bread particularly that makes um it, it doesn't render gluten actually more digestible So that in itself is a problem. Say, for example, if you had a wheat that was stone ground, not bleached, Um, if you leavened it with sourdough, which is a slow-rise raising agent, that actually will break down the gluten make it more digestible. Therefore, you or I who may have a mild gluten intolerance could actually probably get on fine with that. But in commercially brought breads, cakes, biscuits, all the rest that's available on supermarket shelves, that's not happening. Um, So, you see, it isn't quite as black and white. Having said that, I think If your diet is rich in, say, a lot of the processed wheat foods, there is benefit to lessening it. I would say that. Yes, I think so. And it definitely broadens the scope of your diet, nutritionally as well, to include other grains. Well, you mentioned earlier there about all the different foods that it would be contained in. So if we
0: start with breakfast, for example, you said about the breakfast cereal, so porridge is gluten-free?
3: Porridge in itself isn't. No, sorry. Porridge is is not a gluten-containing grain, but it is very often in contact with wheat grain, either in the field or in processing. So again, the person who is mildly intolerant will be fine with regular oats, but the person who has a more severe intolerance will not be, and certainly a celiac would not be. But luckily, in the last couple of years, there are now actual proper oats that are monitored from field to processing unit to the packaging and um, the whole way through that there there's zero um well actually not quite zero but very 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 low uh, gluten content, and they're suitable for celiacs. They're approved by the Celiac Society. And what about something like granola? Would that be an option for breakfast? Yes. Again, <coughs> excuse me. You'd need to check that it was. If you're very severely intolerant, that it's made with gluten-free oats. So they'll always say certified gluten-free. For the person who's not so, it's not such of an issue. Oats aren't really that difficult. They're fine. And granola, yeah. The first ingredient is oats, so yeah. And it's an easy one to make. Um, actually, you can avoid a lot of the sugars and stuff that's added to the commercial brands. And then for lunch a lot of people have a
0: sandwich for lunch so that's bread but you have lots of different bread mixes here in the
3: store that are actually gluten-free. Tell us a bit about those. Yeah, we do. Um you can go from scratch and make your own, but sometimes with gluten-free baking it's I won't say it's impossible but it can be tricky to get the right rise because gluten the texture of it is what binds bread and gives it that stickiness that it holds it together so the crumb can often can often lack, be lacking in a, and be flat in a gluten-free loaf so if you were baking you would probably use say, a blend of flours including rice flour maybe potato flour tapioca flour if you don't want to go to the cost and mess of having four or five packets just get a mix we've got a few very good brands helens which is another two actually they're all irish brands which is great helens uh, mix and sowans And they both do really good, simple mixes. You literally just add milk of your choice, an egg, and you can chuck in anything you want, seeds, seaweed, um, you know, nuts, fruit, anything. And they're very easy to make. Okay. And then whenever it comes to dinner, you mentioned pasta there
0: should be avoided if you have a gluten um, intolerance. Quinoa.
3: Tell us about quinoa. Quinoa. Quinoa is the grain du jour. It really is. It's um, actually there's a major there's a major world shortage of it now because it's only grown in Bolivia, and that's why the price has rocketed lately. In the store here, it's doubled in the last year because supply is just not able to meet the demand. So it's incredible. Quinoa is um, actually not a grain. It's a it's a seed, and it's a tiny little seed. It swells up when it's cooked a little bit, looks a little bit like couscous the taste is actually quite bland, it hasn't got a big taste so it takes flavours very well, um, it cooks really quickly so it is great for you know when you come home, you've got to get dinner on and the table in 15 minutes it cooks as quick as pasta which is brilliant. It's very light, really sits well in the tummy and also the great thing about it, it holds well. So a portion left over is a great base for a salad the next day for lunch. You can jazz it up with a dressing. You can give it a lot of flavour and it's lovely with a piece of fish on top of it or just a pasta sauce through it or something. And you can also make very tasty treats out of
0: you it can. as I see here you in can. front of me. Yes,
3: we have coated it in a lovely dark chocolate. This is just a little take on the Rice crispy Bun of old, of birthday parties of yore and I just thought we'd just do it using other puffed grains. No, there's nothing wrong with rice, and rice is naturally gluten-free, which is great, but Rice Krispies, as in the packet, is full of sugar. So what I've done with this one is the puffed quinoa is literally just the grain puffed up and just mixed it with the melted chocolate, and it's really nice. And the, the sugar comes from what's in the chocolate already, and it's not too high. And you have other options for treats as well. I see there's a lovely chocolate brownie here. Indeed. Again, the Samhain's brand. That's a great Irish company. They do a fabulous gluten-free brownie mix, which is really, really rich, gorgeous. Um, you really wouldn't tell. I mean, I think sometimes be, people can feel a little deprived if they're on a gluten-free diet and think, oh, it's so bland and the texture's lacking. But really the quality of what's available now is just really much better than even three years ago, certainly five years ago. So this one, you would never know it wasn't Um, a full-on indulgent chocolate brownie.
0: And is that a healthier option to make in the brownie yourself, or is it still not really, quite naughty? I have to say,
3: <laughs> not yet. really, because it has sugar in it. And you, now what we do is we use real butter with it, and there's nothing wrong with real butter. But it's not a low fat or a low sugar item. No, it's an indulgent one to be enjoyed. And when you say butter, there you have almond butter
0: in store, which is quite a popular alternative whenever it comes to baking instead of using the the normal Irish butter.
3: Yeah, yeah, you can. You can use um, well in terms of say. a f- a fat in your baking, you can use uh, regular butter. You could use coconut oil. You could use rapeseed oil. Um, it is great now. There's so many supplies Our supplies of rapeseed oil as well. Coconut oil works really well. Melts just like butter as well. The texture is great. The almond butter, if you were using it, then you'd use it as a spread on top. So it's a really lovely one to bring up the the nourishment of, you say, your your toast put a spread of um, almond butter on top you get great protein and it tastes fab kids love it actually and you can make a sneaky treat out of that as well by stirring a bit of melted chocolate through it or cocoa powder so
0: so anybody that is concerned can come in to you and talk to you you, you have all the, the knowledge and expertise there and you, you're you're quite able to offer alternatives to most gluten containing dishes
3: absolutely you No, know, here at the shop with myself Trina and Joan it's really what we do is we, you know, we explain things, we translate things, we try and figure out a, a solution to people's problems, and we're used to it. And I would say, bar a wrap, which I still find, I think it's hard to get a really good wrap or nan bread, something like that, you can actually do most things, work with them gluten-free, and there's some really great choices, and you'd be surprised at how nice they are. Do you have a website address that we people do, can go to? We do, we we do, and we have an active Facebook page as well.
0: We'll ask the listeners then to log on there and to get in touch with you if they have any questions. Yep, great. Thanks, Rosemary. You're
3: very welcome. Thank you.
0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. You're welcome back to the Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we were hearing all about Gluten Free with Rosemary Bennis from Sona's Health Food Shop and before that Rachel Keeley was reviewing two new restaurants in Limerick. If you missed any of it, check out the podcast later in the week soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show. Still to come tonight, comedian Alan Short is on the phone, reminiscing about food from his childhood. But next, it's celebration time, and how better to do it than with cake? Cheers, chin chin.
1: Salut, schleunig.
0: Selina, was baking always part of your life growing up? Where you begin to
4: baking? um i suppose um it 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 was um my mum was a great baker and so i grew up with it so um yes it has been part of my life really what sort of things did you bake with your mum? uh the traditional apple tarts and you know um brown bread and and you know just um, just uh, fairy cakes and uh, you know traditional traditional baking
0: And now you have your own business, when did you start actually dedicating your whole life in terms of making money to make, to making and Megan cakes,
4: I am officially in business two years uh, this August. So uh, this August just gone. So, um, yeah, it just it it it, it just t- took off from nowhere, really. Did you find that people were
0: always asking you to bake cakes for different occasions?
4: Well, to be honest, um, it was my mum. You know, my mum was a great baker, and people would ask her to um, to bake some cakes for them. You know, so um, then um, my mum was asked to make a cake um, for a friend, and uh, she she couldn't do it because she would hurt her 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 hand. So she said, um, "Selina's a, a a dinger at doing doing the cakes and the baking. Sure, she can she can do it for you." And it, f- it was for um, a local party, so I made that cake and. The cake went to the Sharmak Bar and everybody uh, was asking afterwards who uh, made the cake. So then it just took off from there. It's, it's, my number was passed to, to somebody and then, you know, it just, you know, took off. It wasn't planned, really. So, um it just took off from there. And
0: did you find there was a lot of red tape in terms of the HSE and like a lot of people think mm. you can just start doing these things in your kitchen, but that actually is not the case.
4: No, it's not. Um, you know, you do have to, um, you know, have your everything covered as regards your HSE, you know, your insurance and, um, but I must say that the HSC were very um, helpful for the likes of myself in starting a, up a business. Um, very encouraging and, um, you know, they came out to the house and um, helped me, you know, in advising me on what to do and what not to do. And before I knew it, I don't think, I wouldn't say red tape, it was very straightforward and easygoing and um, everybody I came across was very supportive. What types
0: of kecks now are you back and what are the orders that people are putting in?
4: Um... All kinds of celebration cakes, I suppose, from, you know, um, birthday cakes to christening cakes, um, you know, um, wedding cakes and that kind of thing. And
0: I, I'd say that there is this, like a, a significant shift in the types of cakes like the sponge and the fruit mm. and things like that. Like the chocolate biscuit is huge oh, now, isn't yeah, it? Oh, yeah,
4: it's very popular. Um, there is, we do, uh, there is a nod to the um, American style cakes really has come come to our shores. Um, definitely like the red velvet, you know, that's a, an American style cake. And, um, you know, the chocolate biscuit cake is, you know, well, not American, but it's very, um, you know, it's different to your traditional style. Um, Irish sponge. porter cake. Y- yes, exactly. And the red velvet. Is that just a sponge cake with
0: red dye. food
4: colouring? Well, no, there is actually like cocoa in it as well. So there is a hint of chocolate um but it's a very moist um you know flaky kind of cake but um there is a very vibrant red color when you cut into it you know but it is delicious it really is
0: and of course it's very popular in in the cupcakes and i know that you you're very mm. well known for your cupcakes
4: yes it is very popular in the cupcakes um you know the the red velvet is is popular but for me personally my most uh, popular Cupcake that I make would be one with a mint arrow um, topping. <laughs> so it's chocolate, really. It's the chocolate hit. Um, and there's, you know, you can do all things. You can do all sorts now with, with cupcakes. So you can really experiment with the flavors. You know, lemon and lime, or and of course you go with the season. Then you know, like when the strawberries are in season, you will do your strawberry cupcakes with a fresh strawberry on top. Um, that kind of a thing, you know. Maybe, and I think the red velvet is nice for Christmas because it's, I suppose, with the colour red, um, it's a nice one for the Christmas season.
0: And now is the time of the year that people will be well on their way to making their Christmas cakes.
4: Absolutely, yes, yes. It's the time, really. Um, I think once once October hits, uh, it's time to be thinking about getting your your fruit steeping, and um, you know getting getting in some some booze like the whiskey and that to be to be feeding your 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 fruitcake um so yeah absolutely and to get ahead for the christmas and you'll be making quite a few of those i would imagine yes um i do have some regular customers that come back to me uh, since i've started in business now and they um they order their traditional fruitcake every year so it seems to be a winner thank god so it's great
0: Now, the reason that I'd invited you along tonight is because we're celebrating a year here on the best possible taste. So if I was looking for a birthday cake, novelty cakes are big in now. What sort of novelty cakes do you do? Do people come to you with a photograph of something that they've seen on the Internet and say, can you make this? And it might be, say, a hill or a potting green or something like that because the person is big into golf.
4: Yes. um, You know, people have their own ideas. They bring their own ideas. And between the two of us, then between myself and the customer, we'll design a cake uh, between us, the design. But um, for example, um, you know, if it was a cake for, say, a gentleman that was turning um, 40 and it was his 40th birthday, you know, a big celebration and they wanted maybe a little figurine of him and he was maybe, for example, a farmer. So, you know, I could make a little um, sugar paste uh a sugar figurine um, in the shape, you know, of a, a farmer, and um, you know, uh, sh- the the customer might give me a little photograph as well that I can um, try and you know get the eye colouring and that. So just pick up on certain pictures yeah, yeah. if they have a beard or long hair or they. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, there's there's um, you can do so much with the novelty cakes. Really, you know, there's there's just so much you can do. It's 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 crazy, really. And it must be very. T- time-consuming
0: because some of the detail can be fairly intricate
4: it is extremely time-consuming um you know especially the ones with as i said those little figurine toppers or you know handmade little um, um sugar paste flowers and that kind of thing um the only thing is uh you can kind of get ahead with that if you have the order in your book uh for some time you can kind of maybe be working on that a week or so before you bake the cake so you have the prep work done and um, then it's just a case of pulling it all together once the cake is baked
0: wedding cakes now that you mentioned earlier on a lot of people might be going for the cupcakes for the wedding cakes Mm. and then all of these different tiers with the maybe the fruit the sponge Mm -hmm. like there's so much there and I'm always very curious as to how these tiers are transported <laughs> from the baker to the venue without any damage being done to them because some of them are just amazing. I
4: know, I know. It is, I must admit, you know, um, my heart, you know, is, you know, rock bottom when, when wedding cakes are um, go out the door. Uh, sometimes I might deliver and set up the cake myself if it is a local wedding, for example, but... Um, But there is a little, um, it's it's a food safe, um, it's a dowel is what it's called. Basically, it's just a little um, wooden, kind of like a wooden skewer, a little wooden rod, and you can get plastic ones as well, that will sit inside into the cake, which um, it kind of, it's... It holds it in place, and it adds a little bit of structure to the tiered cakes. So that really, um, that you definitely would be putting those in in baked cakes. Not so much chocolate biscuit because it's heavy and mm. fruit cake. But if you had a three tier Madeira cake, for example, like a chocolate cake, maybe a lemon, and maybe just a plain Madeira on top, you would absolutely be dowling those um, tiers. Or, in saying that, if it was the type of design that I could assemble at the venue myself, um, I could probably bring each tier separately and, you know, just build it up at the hotel. Assemble it there. Yeah,
0: yeah. Probably the easiest thing to do. And (laughs) you probably are happier doing that because you know it has made it there in one piece and it's set up the way it's supposed to be set up and looks the way it's supposed to look
4: to be honest I am happier if 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 I can uh, deliver and set up you know Um, sometimes you know weddings are really far away and the couple are you know are happier to collect the cake and bring it to the venue themselves if it was in Kerry or you know someplace you know a long distance Uh, so it is a little bit daunting to be honest but um, exciting though when I get the feedback you know of
0: course Yeah. yeah I just want to ask you before we finish up about inspiration for you yourself like what bakers do you admire and mm-hmm. like do you wa- watch cake wars on TV <sighs> and do you know is that the sort of thing that you enjoy and what cookery books would you refer to begging books obviously
4: okay um, well th- I love Cake Boss, um, you know, like many, and even there's a lot of um, the youth of today, you know, if they come with their parents even to collect a cake from me, they'll say, oh, do you watch Cake Boss? So he's uh, an American guy and um, he's fantastic at what he does. And, you know, that I would draw some inspiration from there. as regards um, books, uh, I do love the Allens, like Doreen Allen um, and Rachel Allen, and um, I love Irish uh, recipes. Now, while I do love the Cake Boss program and the the you know the television program and all of that, I must say I do love uh, I do love Rachel Allen. Uh, I love her cookery book. I love her baking book. There's some great recipes in there.
0: Well, you are so good to come along today and you've brought me some delicious goodies to help me celebrate the, <laughs> the year birthday of best possible Tea. So thank you so much for those. There's such a wonderful scent coming off that <laughs> mandero that you talked about there. So if people want to put an order in, if they want to get that Christmas cake order in, they should do that sooner rather than later. And you have a
4: Facebook page. Yes, it's uh, just Selena's Cakes. Um, and that's where that's my that's where you'll find me um, at the East to find me on Facebook. I can, yeah. can
0: contact you through that and see some of your fabulous work also. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Thanks for coming in tonight.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up.
0: Delicious. Mmm. There's nothing nicer than a little bit of cake there. And isn't it funny how foods like cake can conjure up memories of childhood? Well, my next guest is going to share some of his childhood food memories, which means it's time to go on to the phones and put a call in to comedian Alan Short. Cheers. Chin chin.
1: Salut.
0: Alan, I have to ask you, you you grew up in West Cork, and have you noticed a shift in the food movement from your childhood to the present day?
1: Absolutely. You know, what? I was only talking about it to my child uh, this morning going to school, about how lucky he is, the range of food that he has in his lunchbox and for dinner and for tea and everything else. While When I was going to school, at his age, banana. I think the banana was a staple diet. And you have banana in so many ways. There was mashed banana for dessert with cream and sugar. And then for lunch, it was mashed banana in between two slices of white bread, which looked lovely while it was being made. But then by the time you got to school, it was all, it was all turned black and it had gone soggy into the, into the bread. And then for dinner was beans and toast. And those were the happy days and he looks at me going beans and toast is that all I said yep that's it fibre and that's it
0: and what about the meat and two veg age in the short household would that have been a, a regular occurrence
1: yes my mother was great for she had we, we used to have a, a dana soup which was uh, the reason was called Dana is because it was all kinds of everything in the soup
0: very <laughs> good
1: <laughs> <laughs> and she used have a mush mash which was basically another kind of all kinds of everything whatever's hanging around the house after the night before and what I, used to, what I used to love in the old days was the old mincer that used to attach onto the sides of the table and then she would mince the leftover of the leg of lamb for the night before and make the most amazing uh, shepherd's pie nothing that has ever been matched by anybody yet to date, uh, so those were those were the happy times. Those were the happy times. And frozen peas, frozen peas, was a staple diet in the short household. You chased your peas around the, around the <laughs> chase your peas around the plate all the time.
0: It doesn't sound like you were a picky eater. You were happy to eat what you were given.
1: Oh, absolutely. We didn't. We didn't have a have a choice to be eat picky eaters. You know what I mean? Because it was a it. it you you kind of had what there was five seven, there were seven of us sitting around the table, so there wasn't much much choice. And much chance, you know, he's dug in there and got it. I and mean, we see potato skins and all. It was good, old-fashioned eating. You know, there was no couscous and there was no red pesto or green pesto or any pasta, any pasta. I don't think, I'm trying to think. Nope, there was never, pasta never entered the house. Never, ever. Now it's a staple, nearly a staple diet for everybody.
0: And of course, some of those dishes that you mentioned there are, are making a reappearance on the menus. Now you mentioned shepherd's pie, but it's probably not shepherd's pie as you knew it.
1: No, you see, because we don't have the mincers on the side of the table anymore, and we don't mince up yesterday's meat. Uh, the other thing what, what I just love was my mother's brown stew. I loved brown stew, probably because it was laced in salt. And also, uh, ox tongue. I used to love ox tongue sandwiches, which is kind of a rare thing now. My mother used to, she used to boil the out of a big, huge ox tongue, then she'd skin it, and then she'd put it in the bowl and put a side plate on top of the ox tongue, and then put a big rock from outside in the garden on top of the plate to weigh down the ox tongue. So then when it was cooled it would come out the shape of the bowl. And it was absolutely gorgeous, just with a little bit of tomato sauce and once again on good old fashioned white bread. I'm so sorry to have that white bread has been given such a bad rap over the years and now we all have the brown bread and chia seeds and multi seed and multi grain. You can't beat a tongue sandwich with tomato sauce and white bread.
0: Well you mentioned there the the danna soup and I think actually that's something that you have adopted yourself the all kinds of everything um approach to cooking because you told me just before we came on air that you had a cast a chicken casserole you made a chicken casserole for the dinner tonight because you wanted to use up the white wine.
1: Well you see here here was the dilemma I bought a chicken a full a whole chicken and I said, "Look, can we just roast chicken?" He said, "Oh God, do we have to have roast chicken again?" I said, "What's wrong with roast chicken? I love roast chicken, and we can make sandwiches with it in the morning." He said, "No, I don't want roast chicken." So then there was a half bottle of white wine, which I attempted to uh, to drink twice, and it was didn't get any better, uh, even a second time round. So this had to be used for cooking. So we kind of looked up the internet, had a quick look, chicken with white wine casserole and got a variety of different uh, recipes and they went, okay, none of them really work and we just made it up ourselves. So they started off with a bit of garlic, a bit of onion and a bit of mushroom, fry that off first and then some bacon and lardons in there to get a bit of salt and a bit of thing going. Then lashed in that awful white wine, bubbled a bajani out of that to get rid of the alcohol. Then a little bit of chicken so Then I uh, kind of deboned and in the chicken ultimately and then took the carcass and the bones and made stock out of that and then made it put the stock in the juice and then a bit of cream and then made up some brew with a bit of flour and butter and thickened it down and absolutely gorgeous waiting to have it right now just the spuds are boiling at the moment so we can mash that with the leftover bit of cream that I have uh, which the other part of the cream went into the into the casserole
0: so. it it sounds like you enjoy cooking
1: I love cooking. I love the. Ex- I love experimenting with uh, with, with with food. Uh, I used to be a huge. Um, I was my my problem before was that I used to keep putting every same stuff into everything. So if I had five Schwartz um, kind of spicy things, all five would go into every dish, no matter what, whether it was Bolognese casserole. Curry, whatever, the same would go in there. The paprika, the turmeric, everything would go in there. So now I've, I've learned to pull back from all that and just do do little things at a time. I've got a great cookery book. A friend of mine here in Dublin, uh, Monty's a Kathmandu. It's a Nepalese restaurant. And uh, Lena, who's the chef inside there, lovely lady, she's actually on these Day Show. You can catch her there every so often on RT1. And uh, she wrote a, brought out a cookbook last year. And it's absolutely so simple and so gorgeous. And it's just the best thing that arrives into the house. And uh, it's really how to make chicken sexy.
0: And chicken is your thing, is it?
1: Well, we, kinda, we try and do chicken, and chicken, fish, and mince meat. That's good old recession food, isn't it? Uh, because even the fi- I mean, fish, we live in an island, and fish is so expensive. It's like, good God. We had a hake last night for four of us, and it was 10 euros. And that was on special offer. And I'm going, good Jesus. You know, when I can buy my chicken for a fiver? I'm going, why can't we just have more chicken? And I go, oh, God, not chicken again, Dad.
0: Do you have any food weaknesses? Is there anything that you just can't say no to?
1: Yeah, my food weakness would be chocolate and biscuits. I just can't stick a step away from the chocolate and biscuits. And it's, it's something I like. I just say, just don't buy them in the house. And then if they're in the house, I'll eat them. If they're not in the house, obviously I won't. But I'll still always try and find something. I'll rummage something in my golf bag. There'll be probably a, a, a four-month-old four Mars bar stuck inside there somewhere from some golf day out. But I'll always search and always, nearly always find something chocolate biscuits
0: it must it must be very challenging for you to eat properly regularly just given the nature of the business that you're in and your work schedule it's not like you're doing a nine to five job every day monday to friday where you have a tea break at this time and your lunch at such and such time you're probably going to lunches and dinners and sitting in green rooms so it must be very difficult to control what you eat all the time
1: it is, and you kind of, you kind of, you know, I, I, I did a boxing thing years and years ago uh, on television called Lord's the Ring about three or four years ago, and we went on a complete um, diet and went from fatly to athlete in eight weeks with a regime of fitness regime and a, a very strict diet regime, and I learned so much about eating and so much about proteins and carbs and all the different foods we eat and how they affect our body. So now I look, I when I look at a plate, my brain automatically goes, oh. That's good. That's good. That's bad. That's bad. Stay away from that. So, and when I look at my day ahead, so tomorrow I'm doing a lot of traveling. I'll kind of try and do my best to load up in the morning. Where we've gone be been we've moved into green smoothies now. Curly kale, curly kale, um, carrot, bit of avocado, strawberries, blueberries, and almond milk, and a bit of water, all whizzed up, and a bit of chia seed, and that's a good start to the day. Uh, we have that, and then we, uh, then I would. Um, I would try and make sure that I have some bit of lunch somewhere along the way, a sandwich, because I find the old blood sugars disappear. And then if there's dinner tomorrow, I would try and, if I'm, if I'm going to go out for dinner, well, we're we'll going out for dinner, but if not, I'll try and fit something in before I do my job, whatever, at 4 or 5 o'clock. I just constantly try to make sure I'm fueled up, because I, I kind of, you know yourself, your body just disappears. Very quickly off a cliff if you don't keep the fuel in there. And the worst thing is at eleven o'clock all of a sudden you feel hungry and where do you go for the good old fashioned kebab, which is fantastic, but you really regret it at three o'clock in the morning tossing and turning and burping and other
0: things. Well, you mentioned blood sugars there and I was going to ask you then, do you think there is a connection between food and mood?
1: Absolutely. I even saw it with my own uh with my own kids that when we change their diet from away from pizzas and even you know even processed ham for lunches off the white bread just change various various foods away from them and get, got them off sugars especially cut and get, well not got them off sugars but pull them back from the sugars and the difference in their mood is amazing they're much more balanced and well, they're kind of head, but they're still they're they're up their highs aren't as high and their lows aren't as low and they're much more their energy levels are more constant it's fantastic. See, and I see that myself when I balance if I had the porridge in the morning it keeps me going longer than then you know I'm always hungry two hours after porridge. It's a bit like eating it's a bit like going to a posh restaurant, you're always hungry. Like you're always dying for a Chinese an hour later. But um but it does work. It does balance the sugars if you can do that and detox and do all that kind of stuff, I find that. But I mean from a mood point of view, what makes me feel really good is a good as a kind of a it's called a shepherd I think it's called an old shepherd cheese. It's really smelly, smelly blue cheese and it's absolutely divine probably so bad for you that and a good fine wine from ron forest till a nice little red ron red wine with a bit of smelly cheese and while you, how you eat it is that put a little bit of cheese on the cracker stick it in your mouth but hold your nose hold your nose so you can't uh, breathe and taste it and then you take a small sip of the red wine put it all in together and then let your nose go and let all the flavors explode in your mouth and absolutely fantastic
0: it sounds like you were doing a live demonstration yes are
1: you without the fine world runs fine wine and without uh, the smelly shepherd cheese
0: well now or this week you're getting up early this week because you have to have a good breakfast in you and you are all about upbeat on air with st patrick's mental health services tell us about that
1: st pat's have uh, created a pop-up radio station called upbeat on air I think it's broadcasting at 99.5 FM. Also, you can get it on the website, upbeat.ie, and you can stream it. to be streaming through the website. And I'm going to be presenting a breakfast show for, five, for the five mornings with Teresa Lowe from Where in the World, all those years ago. And we're going to have a game show called Where in the Big Jesus is our plan. And so myself and Teresa will be looking at each other across the table and saying Pat's for five mornings, and we're looking for upbeat songs. So people who have uh, any upbeat song, whatever your most favourite upbeat song, you can get onto the website and let us know on upbeat.ie and we will try and play that song for you. RT stars kind of from radio and TV doing some presenting as well and then on the Friday, Friday is is World Mental Health Day so there's some sort of special Things going on that day as well. I'm not really sure is, it is. I think we're making it up as we go along, to be honest. The fantastic cause because, I mean, it's, it's, it's trying to make mental health uh, away, I mean, just awareness. It. It's, it's okay to have mental health issues. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be down. It's okay to talk about it. And that's what we want to do. That's actually talking about mental health in a positive way, that it's normal to feel whatever way you're feeling. And we want people to talk about it more and we want people to discuss it more and stop hiding it and stop um, climbing into your shell and wallowing in self-pity, thinking, thinking it's only you. It's not only you, it's everybody suffers from it. It's not a weakness, it's, an act, it, it, it's not a weakness because it's actually a strength that you can create for yourself knowing that you have it and knowing that you, you have certain times of the year when you, you dip and certain times of the year when you come up. And a lot of that has to do with, I believe, just living on the island that we live in in such a, a grey area. This year has been fantastic. We've had a really long summer. The summer is still with us, thank God. So I'm hoping that will help a lot of people who suffer from kind of just the sad syndrome or just good old winter blues where they just lack vitamin D in their, in their body from the lack of sunshine. So... It's just hopefully we will we will ha- get people happy. We will, and it's not even making people happy. It's about just making people realise that it's okay to have ha- to have your brain have the flu, basically.
0: Well, I've no doubt you'll do a tremendous job with Trees and we wish you all the very best with it. Thanks so much for talking to me tonight, and I will let you go and enjoy your chicken casserole.
1: Thanks, a and Sharon. It's looking absolutely beautiful as we speak. It's bubbling with a slight... I forgot to mention, I put in little tin tomatoes as well, so it's got like a little, little slight tinge of red coming through as well, so it's, it's looking good. So now we've got to do and lace the potatoes with butter and cream. That's my plan.
0: And open a fresh bottle of wine, Alan.
1: No, you can't. It's only Tuesday. We've got to wait till Friday. What are you like? Is that what you do? With? Well, I know. Uh, I know what you're
0: up to on there. <laughs> Listen, as I say at the end of the show every week, bon appétit.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up.
0: Delicious. Mmm. That was comedian Alan Short who was emceeing recently at Westfest, the Knights of Westfests here in Newcastle West and the programme that he's talking about is actually on this week so be sure to look up the website there. I think you can also do it through stpatricks.ie forward slash upbeat and all for a great cause. Apologies if the sound quality wasn't great there on the phone call. (laughs) You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. You're welcome back to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. If you're just tuning into the show, you can catch up with us later in the week when we upload it to our podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show. And there's hyphens in there between the food and drink and show. Helen McDade of Fulcher, Ireland was on the phone last week with event information for October and she was telling us all about the Conceal Gourmet Fest. If you visit discoverireland.ie forward slash food, you'll find more information there. That brings us to the end of the show this week. A special thanks to you for tuning in and don't forget that the podcast is on SoundCloud. Until next week, when Sinead Neyland from the Organic College will be here, Bon Appetit!